Let's pray. Father, we'd ask that uh, in these moments that you would take your word and uh, allow for us to understand it more fully. Not that we might just get it mentally, but that we might live it in our lives. And that it would make a difference for you and for the kingdom that you are establishing through us and in us as a church and also individuals. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, sometimes there are those moments where you kind of go, I think they're going to get it. I think what we've been putting into this person or investing is going to actually happen. I mean, little things such as at times as parents, when you see a little child and you've been helping a child eat and grow and it's starting to, to crawl. And then there's that moment when they start to take those first few steps. And aren't you kind of excited usually about that? I mean, most all of us can remember those moments. And then they start taking it, and then they, you see them just wobbling along like this, and you go, they're going to get this walking thing. It's going to happen. For moms, I think the potty training thing is probably even bigger, right? There are times when you can be in the business world and you can be training someone and you're training someone in sales and you're helping them get all these things and they're probably a fresh new start, young, maybe out of college, and you're trying to get them along and you help them and you, they watch you and then you help them do a few and eventually you watch them do it and you all of a sudden at a certain point go, that woman or that man is going to make it. They get it. I think that probably happens often in the military, even with a whole group of guys. You know, you can see that we've seen those. Um, I, I didn't serve in the military. Those of you, again, who are vets, raise your hand for a second. Um, you may have remembered those days when you were together as a group that came in. You're that class. You go through it, and you have that drill sergeant, and that drill sergeant is just drilling you, as it's called. And then you get to that point, and you are ready to, quote, graduate and become a soldier. And that sergeant probably at some point goes, these guys get it. Well, there's an interesting thing as we read about the life of Jesus. We come to Matthew chapter 13. We often think the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to really just to offer himself on a cross that he might die and take and bear our sins and so that we might have a relationship with God, which was very much obviously a significant thing that Jesus did. It's, it's what allows for us to have life with God. It's what allows for us to know him personally. It allows for us to understand that we no longer are coming to him on the basis of our good deeds and what we're trying to do, but we come to him on the basis of what Jesus has done through his grace and his goodness and his mercy. And it's because of what he has done that we stand in in him. And then God, our Father, looks at us and sees him and sees us like that. But there's something interesting when you read the Gospels that are that are deeper than just the cross. There is a mission far greater than that in one sense, and that was a mission that he had come to do, which was not just to die and to give his life, but it was to actually begin a movement. It was to bring together a group of people, just like a bunch of soldiers, that they would kind of get it and they would move forward. And so at one point when his disciples were were watching him pray, and they would notice there's something important about his prayer life. We kept watching, and so finally one day, we read in Luke chapter 11, that, that the disciples actually come to him and say, you know, Jesus, there's something really significant about what you're doing. Would you teach us to pray? And he says, yeah. And he gives them this model prayer. Our Father, he says, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
And then these lines are so significant because it's kind of the heart of what's on his father's heart and on the heart of himself. And he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you watch the life of Jesus, his whole life is about allowing for this kingdom to find expression here on earth. It's about living the will of God so that even when he's praying in a garden and he's, and he, you know, you just read this story and he asks these three guys to come with him and, and he turns around and he looks and they're starting to fall asleep. And so he goes off and he prays again. The first time he says, he says, God, um, if it's possible, take this cup from me and not my will, but your will. And then he goes back to sleeping and he comes back and says, if it's not possible... And he goes back to sleep and he says, if it's not possible, his, his whole prayer is, God, may your will be done, may your kingdom be established. And he's working with these guys that he's hoping are going to get it. And sometimes I look at that and I go, man, you did choose Jesus, the B squad. You, you didn't go for the brightest of the brightest. You know, it was the JV group that you brought around side you and brought with you. But here's the thing that's important to understand about this. He chooses you and me because we're really B-Squad kind of people. We're the ones who have trouble understanding and learning and growing. And yet he comes to us because he wants us to get it. He wants us to move into this place where we as a group of people, but even individually, begin to live our lives and know that our lives are to be lived in such a way that we pray, your kingdom come in my family, in my own life, in my own church, in my own business. May your kingdom begin to show up in such a way that as I live, your will would be done through me and that would be established. And Jesus is looking at you and me. He looks at this church and he's, he's wanting to see, do they get it? And do they get it? And so much of what Jesus was about was not just coming to die on the cross. So much of what Jesus was about was trying to establish a community. At this point in chapter 13, he calls the church. The first time he says it, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And in fact, it's kind of a word that was used often of even military outposts of the Romans. They would plant this outpost, this kind of church, this ecclesia, in in an assembly place. They would bring these people together and these little outposts, in a sense, would bring the culture of Rome into that place and eventually that kingdom would spread and eventually the will of that government would be made known and it would be done. And he kind of is saying, in a sense, as we look at this passage, he's calling together a group of people that we might be the kind of people that take heaven, as it says here, he says, help in the name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, so much of the focus of God through his son, Jesus, was that his followers would get it and throughout history establish heaven on earth. Now that's an amazing thought. It has to fly in the face of all, you know, we know, you know, you know here often the you know, end times are coming. You know what? We have no control about when that actually comes. All we can do is do everything we can because he says to work, wait, and watch are the things when it comes to the end time. But we're to work. We're to bring heaven to earth. There's something significant about what we do here. We're not just gathering together waiting for someday when Jesus will return in the midst of things going really bad. We're actually here seeing God change lives because we have the opportunity for the will of God to live through us to touch people. So we come to this passage of Scripture in chapter 13, and the background is what we've been looking at is there's some Sadducees and Pharisees as as Jesus actually steps off the shore. He's just fed 4,000 in a Gentile area. 
and it's becoming clear, it should have been clear to his disciples as he, he fed 5,000 in his Jewish area. He goes off and this woman who's a Gentile Syrian who um, says, would you heal my daughter? And she gets the crumbs from the table and then he moves to the 4,000. And in those 4,000 Gentiles, there's this progression that he's showing them that he had come first for the Jews, but he was coming for all the Gentiles. That was part of his mission. That's part of what he gave to us. And so he comes in these Jews and these, these Pharisees and these, these Sadducees who are really the um, religious cops of the day, making sure that this Jesus is kosher. He's really the Messiah. They come and they ask for his papers or credentials. They said, hand us your license. We want to see. And the way you want to see it is that you would give us a sign. Show us a sign from heaven. If you show us a sign, we'll believe you. Well, Jesus is doing all kinds of signs. They have all the ability in the world if they had open hearts and humble hearts and spiritual eyes to be able to see the things that Jesus is doing. And so he says, I won't give you any sign, but the sign of Jonah, and that will happen, and they don't realize it, but later and at some point, some of them will actually see when they see Jesus go into the belly of the earth, come out of that earth after three days, just like the sign of Jonah. As he's taking his disciples, they get back in the boat. It says the word in Greek is very definitive. He departs. He leaves. It is a sense that he is done with these these complainers, these, these people who are coming to him saying, prove yourself to us, um, these people who will not accept that he is the Messiah, he's done now with the religious establishment and the authority. He's not there to convince them any longer. He has now made a choice that he will carry out that mission whether they choose to be a part of it or not. And he leaves that shore and goes to the other side. And as he's going to the other side, he makes a little comment about the yeast of the you know the pharisees and the sadducees and make sure that you don't get any of that in your system and they can't think of anything but physical bread so they start looking around and they go who brought the you come on we had seven loaves what do you mean you only got one they're upset and then they finally move into this and they understand and jesus teaches them and we come to this passage of scripture that jesus it is so crucial in his heart what we're going to look at this morning it is as I look at this section of passages of Scripture we're looking at, it's what I call living with spiritual insight. And there today, as we look at this, is a key spiritual insight that is all the difference, makes all the difference for the kingdom to be established in the will of God to move into your life and into our community. And so he takes these guys, gets them out of the boat, travels 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is a snow-capped mountain. On the snow-capped mountain of Mount Hermon, on a clear day from Nazareth, which is miles away, you can actually see this mount. Very significant mountain. It was the northern part of the the borders, basically, of um, the land that Israel was to take. Today, after the 67-year war, it's where the Golan Heights is somewhat in that area. And Jesus goes up to that place, into the the Mount Hermon, which is also where they believe the transfiguration, many believe, took place. And he brings his disciples there, a very religious area. It was was very important um, in that time as a high place where where different kinds of gods were worshipped. When I was in Mongolia, it's interesting where George and Terry are. You, you go and you see, it's, it's almost like dropping back into the Old Testament when you go there because 
on the borders and territories are these stones that are built and then there's a post like an, almost an asher pole and then on it are put these blue little flags because it's the land of the blue sky more than montana would be this mongolian sky is incredible and so the blue is significant they put all these little blue flags on it they put it on the territory bar, border markers but wherever there is a high place they also build this little thing and they put it there as well and I just thought, wow, that's like stepping back in the Old Testament. Well, this is what Mount Hermon was. These kind of big, huge mountains become these spiritual centers where people, in a sense, go where there's spiritual significance. And so Jesus heads up in that direction. And it's a Gentile area. And up in that area, as Jesus goes, he takes these disciples in order to establish something very important that is essential. It's their ability to walk out what he in his death provides this place is called um, Caesarea Philippi it was a, a little plain a small town right at the base of Mount Hermon where he was at about 1150 feet up from sea level and Herod Philip named it in honor of Caesar, and then they called it Caesarea Philippi because there was a coastal city called Caesarea. In that day, a great honor, if you really wanted the Caesar to really like you, you would name important cities that you had built in their name and honor. And so you had a lot of these Caesareas around. Well, this one was Caesarea and called Philippi because Philippi built it. So there they are by Mount Hermon in a Gentile area. Jesus has taken them away. It seems like the religious authority is blind to who Jesus is. It seems like his followers are having a hard time seeing it. They just don't seem to always get it. They talk about yeast and they think about physical bread. They cannot get to the level of the spiritual. Matthew 16. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of living God. And Jesus replied, this is significant. When Jesus gets excited, which I believe he really is in scripture here. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or son of John. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this Petra, so there's planned words, which means rock, you are the rock, or let's say you are rocky, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then, probably just thrilled and overjoyed, he ordered his disciple not to tell anyone that he was Messiah. 
Because he didn't want people making him a physical, political king. He came in order to establish a spiritual kingdom. He came to establish not some kind of, although we enjoy the freedoms of this land, we honor the people who sacrificed for it, we're so thrilled and grateful to God for it, but what he came to do was open up a territory of freedom in our hearts and our soul, which he alone could do through his death, allowing us to have a relationship with the Holy God, and as a result of having that relationship the Holy God, He deposits His Holy Spirit in you, in each one of us. And one of the values we talk about often, when I came to this body, I said forthrightly to the search team, I said, I think in one of my first messages, is that we will be a people who will learn through the Word of God, through community with one another, that we have been given a Holy Spirit, and this spiritual relationship we have individually, collectively, is the most important thing for the kingdom of God to move forward. So if you look at this key spiritual insight that got Jesus so excited, because he's kind of going, Peter's, he's kind of walking. Spiritually. He's really excited. This Peter, as he has this understanding, could become an adult. And as an adult, there is no gate, there is no place on this earth as we walk that, that Hades, that hell, can stand against this kingdom that is to come. And with, with this are keys that are given. There's implications to this key spiritual insight. With it are given keys. Keys meaning authority to be able to open and be able to close. That's what keys do, right? You open and, and, and close things with them. So that in this relationship, you will see God work and do things that you could never imagine and you couldn't do with all the talent, with all the brain power, with all the flesh that you have. Because flesh does not do a thing against the spirit. And a lot of us spend a lot of our life, we come to faith in Christ, we know we're saved in Christ, we look forward to that day of being in Christ, and we live our life often in our flesh, in our own strength, in our own understanding, in our own ways. We will at times quote that, but to live into this to this pattern, this life, where the Spirit of God begins to get a hold of your heart, and you begin to realize the most important thing you will do in this life is to show up before God so His Spirit can show up in you, and then you know all life is about growing up into maturity so that you could become like Jesus Christ. Folks, that is key in essence of what we've been called to do. And when we do that and we become adults, we take on adult missions and we see God do things in our lives and in this body that no one could ever imagine being done. So, that wasn't planned. Just a little extra. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is. Now remember, Son of Man is a characteristic phrase in Matthew because that was something um, the, the, the Jewish people he was writing to understood. If you go to Mark, he doesn't say that. He just says, who am I? Son of Man is, is, is a way of saying, who do they say I am? And the religious establishment had turned against him. The crowd was never really fully to be trusted. So Jesus takes his disciples away, hoping that now at this point, because it's crucial, that they have some understanding and that they have spiritual insight. Because it's vital. There's all kinds of opinions forming. And so Jesus takes them aside and gets their spiritual pulse. Now, I've I got to ask you to think for a second and, and imagine this question, because we're some of us are too church. And if you're new to the church, 
there's some advantages to not having walked long with the Lord. You see things sometimes with fresh eyes. So um, be encouraged as you grow. But for those of us who have been churched, we sometimes have such trouble reading these things in a context that would throw it into a greater light. And so I want you to imagine for a moment, because this question begs a context for it to really make sense. So let me give you some examples. There's a few different um, contexts you could put this in. At lunch tomorrow or dinner, how many are going to have a Memorial Day lunch or dinner with family and friends? Okay. At lunch or dinner tomorrow, I want you to try this. Get real serious at a certain point. Ask everyone to kind of, kind of pull in a little bit. Families and friends, look around and look at your wife and your kids and in-laws and friends. And just say, who do people say I am? Who asked that kind of question? You're kind of looking at you going, you know, duh. Or, or let's, try, let's try this. Try it at work, okay? You're at a meeting. You know, get your boss there and you get some of the other associates there. Or maybe you're in a training meeting or, or whatever kind of meeting. You're, you're at this meeting and you're all talking away. And at a certain point, you get really serious. And you look around at everybody and go, listen, guys. Listen, women. I got a big question for you. Who do you say I am? It's almost silly, right? I mean, try it at, you know, some of you kids try it with your soccer team or with your baseball team or whatever you're doing. Give it a shot. See what happens. Seriously, when you draw this out of the Bible and you put it into the context of everyday life, it almost seems crazy. Except for there is something so significant going on. That Jesus, even though he's lived with them now for two years, draws them aside and goes, guys, do you get who I am? This is critical. As I go to a cross, because as I go to a cross, I go to a cross to establish a people who know who I am, who pass who I know I am down to others, who allow for the kingdom that I've been praying to come and the will that would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, in the hearts of people who get who I really am. Because you don't normally ask a question like this unless there's something of deep significance to reveal, some kind of key insight of a spiritual nature to be known. Something beyond one's normal physical sight. So look at verse 14. They replied. I love it. They replied. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, John the Baptist um, was considered by some that this was actually Jesus. John the Baptist kind of um, resurrected It's really interesting. They don't talk about reincarnation. That's not an Old Testament concept. And you hear a lot of that around today. That's not, there isn't this, according to the Word of God, this life, and then you come back in another life. They they actually thought John the Baptist was resurrected, and he was just being called Jesus. And the guy who really made this popular was Herod, because Herod actually separated John the Baptist's head from his shoulders at a dance that his daughter, you know, that he was really impressed with that his daughter had done. And in verse 1 of chapter 14 and verse 2, it says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard reports about Jesus and said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. 
Well, then some said Elijah because it was very, very characteristic in that time when they were having, and, and I said this at the Good Friday service, there were lots of messiahs coming at that time. In fact, in Galilee, they knew of a messiah who had come. In fact, some 300 or so were actually put on crucifixes. So Jesus, when he was probably young or just before he was born, that occurred. It was written in the Chronicles of Josephus. So there's history that they know about these messiahs. And so there, this is a very messianic time. There's a real end time kind of era going on. And as this is happening they're looking for the elijah because elijah was said to come as a precursor one who would pave the way for the messiah to come well some of them weren't really sure john the baptist was really elijah they're looking at jesus because of all the miracles he seems to be doing he seems to possibly be the elijah because he's not in in one sense grabbing the political throne bringing an army around him and, and fighting rome so he must be the guy setting it up And then some said Jeremiah, and the reason for that is because they couldn't understand because this Jesus spoke with great authority like Jeremiah did, but on the same hand, Jesus also spoke about suffering, and and he spoke about, um, you know, more of these these, these aspects of sacrifice and things such as that, and they couldn't put that together, but there was a prophet who did talk a lot like that, and his name was Jeremiah. And then one of the prophets, you know, there was just like today, there's all these end-time predictions, and so they had all these different potential prophets in their mind, all kinds of guesses. So verse 15, Jesus pushes hard for spiritual insight. His disciples had seen signs. They had evidenced miracles, miraculous powers. They heard his teaching, the words of his life. They'd seen his character. And this is what I call at this point, verse 15, a literal come to Jesus meeting. He presses for understanding. And it's time that they personally decide. And what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? This is the essential thing about God as so clearly revealed through Jesus. I love this question because it's the same question he asks every person in this place. You can talk about what others say. You can talk about what you think your church says. You can talk about what maybe your spouse says or what your parents said. But the essential truth, the essential thing that you're going to be asked, the thing that Jesus by his Holy Spirit is asking you right now, is who do you say I am? Who really is Jesus to you? How much of Jesus is really God revealed? Who is this Jesus? Is he the one who was sent by God? And if it is, he's not looking in this sense. He really isn't looking for awareness. He's not going, well, oh, yeah, you're the son of God. I read that. You're not getting a passing grade for awareness. This is a question of allegiance. This is a question of your entire life. You see... To be a follower of Jesus was not merely a passing of a test so that if you get the answer right, then someday you get to go to heaven. That has been a false, I really believe, not fully accurate teaching. Yes, when you accept Christ, you open your heart to him, the Holy Spirit enters in, and you now enter into eternal life today, not someday. And does that mean you'll have struggle and your life will have difficulties and you'll have challenges and you will fall and you'll be like a Peter? You better believe it. There isn't a follower who doesn't need daily the grace of God in their life. I am one of the first to admit it. 
But what it means is when you understand this question and you are confronted with this and, and, and Jesus looks you in the eye and he says, who do you say I am? And you respond and you say, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ is what it means. Christos means you are the one, not just a little bit of the Holy Spirit poured out on you, but so drenched with the Holy Spirit, so drenched with his presence that we cannot put anything but say that you are the actual God in flesh, the very son of the living God. And you are here. And how can I do anything other but, but fall on my face in my life? Say, here is my life. Would you begin to lead it? Would you begin to direct it? Would you begin to take it? Would you begin to make it what it's supposed to be? Somehow, way back in eternity, you knew who I was. Somehow, way back in eternity you had a plan for my life somehow way back in eternity when I was created you were looking for me to walk spiritually to begin to stumble to begin to walk out this faith in adulthood so that when you walked you began to walk in relationship to this Holy Spirit and the revelation of God began to make itself known in your life and instead of living in your own flesh and your own talents not that you don't use your mind not that you don't use your talents but you submit those to the revelation of the Spirit of God in you the Spirit takes those things and He does things in you and through you for your family, for yourself, and for his kingdom and for his world. And so, verse 15 is a very, very important key spiritual insight. And it's the reason that one of our core values here is to encounter God. We believe that a humble, personal relationship with God through fresh encounters with his Holy Spirit is evidence of a living and true faith. We truly believe what we desire to have happen here, what I hope to have happen, what our worship team hopes hopes to have happen, what our elders hope to have happen, is that as we gather together, you come with hearts hungry for God. And you say, God, no matter what, I'm not going to let any of this stuff distract me. I am here to encounter you. I am here to meet with you. And I'm not just going to do it here, but through my life, I want to live in such a way that I'm open to the encounter of this living God living himself through me. So verse 16 is this great confession. Simon Peter, usually foot and mouth, this time no foot and mouth, says you're the Messiah. You're you're the Christos. You're the the anointed one dripping with the presence of the Holy Spirit all over you. You are the son of the living God. And this confession is just more than words. It was a confession of a heart that had been transformed by the spirit of the living God because one in his heart, he had become the follower of the living God with his whole life. Now, as you go on to these next few verses, they're really the implications of this. Verses 17 through 20. If the reality that binds all of the followers of Jesus together is this incredible confession that Jesus Christ is dripping with the Holy Spirit, the living anointed God in flesh, the son of the living God, who we not just give lip service to, that we don't just have an intellectual understanding of, because it says in James, even the demons believe and shudder. So it's not anything about just what we understand in our head, but it's a heart that is given over fully in submission, saying, Jesus, here's my life. I want to give it to you. Now, I just I feel compelled to stop right now. Because the spirit of God is speaking to some of you. And either you've been away and you have fallen from him or you are in this process right now where you're, you're wrestling with it. 
I just want you to just take a moment and let's just bow our heads. If in your heart, Jesus is saying, give me your full allegiance. I know that you know me. I know that you maybe even at one point opened your heart to me. But today is a day, a key spiritual insight day. All you need to tell him is, Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you're forgiving for my sin. I don't know how to do this well, but I know you do. I offer my entire life to you. I'm done trying to do things in my strength and in my flesh. Today, I put a stake in the ground and I make this great confession. To your question, who do you say I am? Not only do I say, but I live. Giving myself to you as my life leader. And maybe as a church, kind of as a body, that's what I call a body. Even in this moment, may our heart as a body say, Jesus... We um, give ourselves to you. You are our life leader. Amen. Well, I'm just going to share with you just the one part of this last part of this can, uh, implications. Because it's kind of an interesting thing when you look at verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And this is really kind of cool. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I think this is incredibly important to understand that he said this. This is not something you just kind of intellectually come to understand. This is the Spirit of God working in your heart. This is evidence because you begin to see, you begin to understand these things. And so he's basically saying to Peter, what you see and how you see it is because God's Spirit's working in you. He says, this isn't revealed by flesh and blood. But it is this revelation life that we live. This, is, this has been such an important understanding for me in my life over the last number of years. As I seek God and I get to know his word and try and understand his word, and as I live in community and fellowship with others and I submit myself to um, the body of Christ and others in those contexts that are important, as I live according to the principles of God's word, I also live one other place, too, and that is that I just say, God, speak to me, lead me, reveal yourself to me in new and fresh ways. And when you do, may my heart not just trust, but may I obey. I think this is what he's saying to Peter. I just want to say this right up front because there's a lot of interpretations around this, but I think that's what he's saying. It's this life where you recognize who Jesus is. Now he gives you his spirit. Now you are given the opportunity. I'm given the opportunity to live in the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus lived. And you go, oh, I can't do it like that. Of course we can't, but you have Jesus in you now. And are you going to fail? Yeah, you're going to fail. But you get back into the grace of God and you keep walking. But you begin to live, not in this dry way, but you begin to live. That's what prayer is all about. That's why we seek God. This next Wednesday, we're coming together at 6, noon and 6. And one of the reasons we come together is because we know, I am convinced that God doesn't do anything, but by the person who, who bends their knee and listens and says, God, lead us, guide us, direct us. Because if you reveal it, when you reveal it, in that revelation is the keys that open Open up your kingdom that allows your kingdom to move forward. Because in your revelation, which is your word, you think about it. In Genesis 1, when he spoke, it happened. If God reveals, and that's why prayer was so important, as we pray and the revelation of God is made known to us and we step into that, God does things. And you and I have that ability, not just as a church, but individually.
To live in the fresh awareness and encounter of God through His Holy Spirit. To hear His voice. To feel the impression of His Spirit upon your spirit. To begin to, in time, get to know that so well that you know what when He speaks with authority and you act in that in obedience. Well, if you look at these verses, Peter, he turns to me and says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. Let me give you a couple ways this has been translated over history. First, Peter is the rock, and upon Peter, Jesus builds a church. That's the very one very common understanding from really the earliest church um, history. And it's what the Catholic Church has said, and as a result of it, they say, you are Peter, and on this Petra rock, I build my church. And in a very real sense, um, during the Protestant Reformation, they tried to kind of downplay that teaching. But folks, you can't. It's true. Jesus was looking at Peter and personally giving him a blessing and saying, Peter, you will be the leader upon which this church will be built. And if you look at the life of Peter at Pentecost, Acts 2.41, 3,000 are baptized. The church is birthed. Right after the Spirit comes at Pentecost. Acts 4.3, Peter's thrown in the prison. You don't throw in just anybody, you throw in the key leader. Acts 10, verse 1 and 9, Peter goes to Cornelius. He, Peter, opens the door for the Gentiles. Paul follows through on that. Peter goes to Rome. Peter goes to the central area of this whole world, and he establishes that church and helps establish it in Rome. But here's where this does not follow. We often do this. We take something and then we build onto it things that we want to. And this is where the Catholic Church, in my opinion, isn't right. This text says nothing about apostolic succession. It says nothing about apostolic infallibility. It says nothing about exclusive authority to a papal succession. Uh, That's added on. But you have to look at this text if you're going to be honest with the text. And Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, Peter, I bless you. I'm using you to build this church. And the Reformation came along, and they, I think they had some insight to it, because at that time, the church and salvation was so much about um, in the hands of someone else, not in the hands of Jesus Christ himself. And so Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all the rest said, you know what, this passage doesn't mean that it was on Peter. They needed to, to react against this apostolic succession idea, so they, they really not just downplayed that, but almost got rid of it. And they said... Here's how they translate it. You are Peter, and on this Petra, this rock of your confession, that's what the church will be built on. Well, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Upon the faith that you have in Jesus, this church will be built. And that's true. But I think if you read this in context, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he is basically saying, Peter, it is in this life, it is in this life where you live, in that revelation of the Spirit of God, opening your eyes to the things of God, listening to the things of God, moving in that, confessing me as the one your allegiance is to, I will then move through you by the power of my spirit to do the kind of things that no one in their own flesh can do. And we could talk more, but we won't. And to this person, Jesus comes and says, I I just, I want you guys to understand the most important thing that you're going to get from this little teaching and This mount that we're at is the answer to this question. Who do you say I am?
I mean, it's really interesting. And I'll close with this last uh, Sunday I was preaching. And um, there's sometimes when the Holy Spirit feels like he's going to explode in me. And last Sunday morning in the first service uh, was one of those times where I just was kind of one of those almost out-of-body experiences. And I was going, God, just turn this down. <laughs> and God was just... And then I get done, and, and, and I know from how God spoke to some people's lives, but I had one person come up to me who's been in the church for a while, and I don't really know very well, but shared with me what they had seen when I was preaching. And they came up to me and said, you know, I didn't hear too much of what you said. Because well, I was praying the whole time, which I always go, incredibly good, I'm all for that. And so I asked the person to send me their note. And they write, sorry, it took me a while to get back to you. That's why I came down right away on Sunday morning. Once my flesh gets in a way and doubt creeps in, time passes. I'm thankful you're inquiring. It has caused me to go back into prayer and worship regarding this. Here's what I can relate. From the moment I entered the sanctuary, and I was up in the upper level because I wanted to worship uniquely, not next to people that I would have to visit with or take care of. Does that make sense? I could feel the presence of God. I felt him a few times lately in the sanctuary. There had been a period of a few years or so that I just didn't sense him in the same way. She was a little bit of one other time a couple years back when she sensed the Spirit of God being all over. Okay, so back to this Sunday. I sat down began to engage in worship. Couldn't even finish the song before I burst into prayer. And this continued on and off. Periods of praise and worship. And then as you got up on the uh, platform, I felt a pressing that there was a spiritual battle all around and over you. And my flesh brain told me, concentrate on the sermon. There are folks already praying for him and for this service. I simultaneously felt convicted that I needed to pray on your behalf. So I went into prayer again. As your speaking became more bold, I could sense a shift of power in the room. Suddenly, I saw something like a battering ram. It came in from the right side of the sanctuary and banged from the right to the left across the sanctuary. It was penetrating into something dark, and each time it took a swing, it pushed back the darkness, and I could hear a chorus singing. It wasn't a song, but a sustained musical note, clearly thousands of voices singing. I felt in my spirit the words, home run. And I smiled as I'm not a baseball fan. But I do recall someone using a baseball metaphor earlier in the service. God does have a sense of humor, and he loves you very much. God bless you today, Pastor. I only share that because um, there is a spiritual realm. There is a work that is going on right now in your life, around you, in the hearts and souls of people that you work with, you walk by. And we have this key spiritual insight. Jesus Christ is our Lord. He died to give us a relationship with the Father. He went to the Father and He's at the throne praying for us right now. And when He did so, He released His Holy Spirit into your life so that you can walk in allegiance to Jesus, just like Jesus did to bring the kingdom and God's will here on earth in the way it operates in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this weekend, for the opportunity for people to just have some time to rest. Some, I know, will still have to work, but God, 
Probably the big thing this weekend in my heart is it kind of ushers in summer. Um, So give us good weather, we pray, and help us to love you with everything that we have within us. In Jesus' name, amen.